Welcome to the fourth episode of Megaten Marathon. It is a game-by-game -game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona series. And I'm Paul M. Davis. Who am I here with? It's me, Brian Static. How's it going, guys? Hey, and I'm Evan. Yay, we're all here. We are all here. We're all present. And in this episode, it's the uh, second one in our uh, three-part series uh, in which we're focusing on Digital Devil Story Megami Tensei 2, which was released for the Famicom and then re-released as uh, the second part of uh, Kyuyaku Megami Tensei. Yeah, there you go. Uh, for the Super Famicom in 1995 and we're playing the uh super famicom uh re-release and so in the first episode does anybody uh have like a quick sort of uh recap of what sure i got it we got you you and your best friend evan are tricked by pazuzu into releasing him <laughs> from the uh from a digital prison he sets demons out into the world into your shelter specifically you escape and with your with Evan, you um, try to you're, you're going on Pazuzu's task list, completing them. Then you find a girl who tells you, "Hey, Pazuzu's been manipulating you this entire time." And you say, "Well, he probably has been." Evan gets all pissy, leaves, and now you have a new sidekick, female lady. I am one thing to add to that is that the game takes place 30 years after Tokyo was nuked in the year uh, 1990X. Well, I mean, that part's obvious. No, yeah, you're very right. Yes. Uh, yeah, after Tokyo was nuked by demons, you know, as you do. <laughs> this yeah. is the first time we're actually in post-apocalypse. So you set out with uh, with the uh, quote-unquote witch, who uh, is your uh, female um, your female protagonist uh, that you named at the beginning of the game. And uh, she, at this point, is really under-leveled compared to... Uh, your uh, friend, quote unquote, Evan, yeah. um, and I think we, I think we touched on this just a little bit in the last episode. Is that she has basically the same level your female companion in Devil Busters had when you first left Devil Busters at the beginning of the game? Yeah, mm. implying that she was not only the second character actually playing in that game, but also that she hasn't done anything at all since you quit it. Yeah, no, she just wound up halfway across the map. No big deal. Your friend takes off with uh, what's his name, Orthrus. Which Sounds is right. uh, by far the most powerful demon you had gotten to that point. So, yeah, when you uh, when you end up with her, you got to do a little grinding, um, and uh, you'll go to the next town, which is uh, Rapongi, and there's not a whole lot going on there. Um, it's just a holdover town. Yeah, yeah. It's weirdly broken up where the overworld is divided into three sections that you can't easily navigate, and you have to go inside the dungeon in the ruins which which lets you access like two extra buildings i think maybe a, a fusion cathedral as well yeah yeah there's like hardly anything it's oddly laid out but there's really nothing that goes on in that town and so from there you uh head over to uh shibuya which i think this is the first time in a jrpg that I've uh, played, uh, that I, that I played a JRPG, and Shibuya isn't this like glittering super hip town. It's actually just this, you know, blown out, decimated, uh, nuked out core of a town. Now this uh, this is probably my favorite section of the game so far. It's really simple, but I really like the way it plays out. Yeah, it seems to um, 
set up a thread that the game keeps coming back to, and I'm I'm sure we'll touch on it later in the game. But um, yeah, everyone in Shibuya is worshiping a demon named uh, Balam, and uh, in the town you also come across first a uh, rag shop where uh, instead of trading gems for key items, you get them you trade them for uh, powerful consumables. And so uh, you go into the dungeon in the town, and uh, you'll find a bar, and there's a zombie, which I think in the game is just, uh, he's just named, like, Tired Man, but he's clearly a zombie. Yeah. Yeah, some creative sprint <laughs> work. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he, he's a very, very uh, tired man. Um, he asks for a magic fizz, and you buy it for him, and he tells you that if you... Uh, if you walk counterclockwise around the dog statue, you'll be uh, teleported to a strange demonic world. And so if you go outside of the dungeon, there is this tiny little dog statue and you walk counterclockwise around it. So I guess you guys got the sword and earned Naga here for something. For some reason, I didn't have an item. And so I never got the sword or oh. Naga, which later on became a real pain in the ass. She just kept on saying to me, like, oh, you don't have it. You can't, like... You can't pull out the sword. I haven't that. tried in a few hours, gameplay-wise, but the last time I was there, it told me I didn't have the strength to pull out the sword. Yeah, I think it's hmm. level-gated. Um, keeping with the theme from the other game, I got lost a lot and ended up massively over-leveled for almost every section of the game. Uh, so yeah, the first time I went there, I said, oh, oh, if only you had his power, then you could pull out this sword. And I came back right. when I actually was supposed to do this part and pulled it out, got a fairly powerful demon, and a sword that I think I already had three copies of. The sword the sword generation is weird in this game. They just it pops up randomly, and I definitely keep getting multiples of the same sword. Like I fi- I just find Nihil everywhere, which is the sword <laughs> you told us never to equip. Yeah, that was the sword I found by accident. Uh, I, I'd been hanging on to that the entire game thinking it's going to turn into something special. Now I found out you guys are finding it everywhere. Yeah, I'm getting it as a random drop. Yeah. Yeah, I keep on it. I'll end up with, like, weapons in my inventory that are really, really shitty. And I'm like, how did that even end up there? So we, we said we said that this town, everyone worships Balam. But let's let's set the stage here. Now, is, is this the place? You need, you need the inverted cross for this? Or is that another church? No, no, okay, so you, but you've run into, uh, you've run into at least a nurse in another town who basically tells you, "Oh, my sister is in Shibuya, and she says it's great." Um, mm-hmm. Everyone is severely brainwashed by this Balam guy. They are so into him, and you'll eventually, if you go into the main building in Shibuya, you there's a gate where they basically say, hey, are you here to, you know, come pay your respects to Balam? And if you say yes, you have to pay 300 maka to get in uh, just for a chance to meet him. And you are yeah. swarmed with people indoctrinated into his uh, cult. Yeah, everybody. And this this is like a thread that keeps on coming up later in the, ga- later in the game. I think later in this episode we'll talk about another town where uh, this is going on as well. Um yeah, so there's this cult of uh, Balam, and uh, you have to have a certain level of intelligence to uh, to fight him. And there's a demon that says you need to add up both sides of a die. Uh, I didn't have a problem with this because I like had already like leveled up my characters. Seven is such a low amount of intelligence. Yeah, you know, just because it helps with uh, demon negotiations. So yeah, I didn't have an issue with that, and I had some like just like powerful. 
Uh, my demons weren't very powerful, but I had some uh, powerful magic items. And I mean, I took a, I took Balam out, and I think two or three, two or three. He goes, uh, he goes down quick. And uh, that is another recurring theme we're going to see here. Is um, well, so we were about to get to this, but Balam, your reward for defeating him is getting the Moon Pillar. You're going to need seven of those pillars. Um, they've been hinted at vaguely that you're going to need them eventually. Uh, but the pillar boss fights are, for the most part, pretty simple. Yeah, it seems like there's kind of a trade-off because in the first game, every boss fight was basically, can you cast Madiarama often enough for your team to survive this fight? Uh, with this one, you don't have that spell on your on your uh, secondary character. Uh, some demons have it, but it's not super powerful. So it seems like they kind of balance that out by making the demons a lot weaker, making their attacks a lot more predictable and defensible. But yeah, they they go down crazy quick. Yeah. So the thing about the magic, the the dice clue is I, I just find it kind of weird. Like, why would a demon yep. reference this human thing to explain this concept to you? Do, can he not count to seven? Is that too high of a number for him? I think this is a uh, recurring thread in uh, SMT games is uh, demons uh, talking to you with the trappings of the uh, human world. Even though uh, I think in more recent games are a little more like otherworldly and are trying to, uh, you know, kind of like in the text and in lore trying to figure out the, the human world. Yeah, in some of the other games, the demons kind of have the quality of like a little kid from another country asking about what it's like to grow up in your country. Like, yeah. oh man, did you did you watch this type of superhero comic or this type of superhero cartoon when you were a kid? Me too. <laughs> but that's literally something Jack Frost will ask you in like Shimagame 4. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So you beat Balam and you get the Moon Pillar, and uh, you can just roll around in this uh, in this uh, dungeon. If you uh, go upstairs, um, an old man will be there, and he asks uh, your female companion uh, to uh, give him a uh, back rub, which is not weird so, at all. So <laughs> yeah, let's let's just let's just let's just sit on this idea for a moment, because here's the thing: like this is a this is a JRPG tradition as old as JRPGs itself, where the female characters are required to do something, or there's some kind of weird sexual element in this otherwise not very sexual thing. Um, I mean, obviously Shin Megami Tensei kind of has a bit more uh, edge on its sexuality scale than other JRPGs. But I'm thinking like in Dragon Quest Three, when you can go to... Um, this random town and there's a man who says or no there's a there's a woman who says would you like a puff puff powder massage oh yes i've heard about this <laughs> and you say yes and you go upstairs the lights go off and you all you see is text going puff 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 and then the lights come on and it's an old bald man who did it to you and it's i don't know it's one of those in Shin Megami Tensei, I don't think the joke really works. I think it's just weird and creepy. And who gave this old man the water seal? That's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, I mean, and the thing he actually says, if you come to him before you have uh, Yumiko in your party, because again, like I did this part out of order before I got her. If you come in with your buddy Evan, he goes, "Ugh, give me someone sexy, and I might have something for you." <laughs> That's amazing. That tells you a lot. So with it, just my comparison, I want to make two comparisons. Like one in Dragon Quest, I think the joke works better because the joke is on the player that they're being gross. And in return, the game's like, ha ha. 
But in this one, it's really just, hey, do this gross thing to continue. And it's like, uh, that's not fair. Yeah. And if it and if it were a Western RPG, if it were, a, say, a Fallout, um, you would have the option of going through with it or figuring out another way to convince that man to give you the water seal. But in this game, it's just, yeah, you got to do it. But thou must. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to, like, justify it a little bit, given the uh, era that it came out with, uh, uh, that it came out in. But uh, it's still kind of creepy. Yeah, and luckily it only lasts, like, a matter of seconds, so it's not like it's ruins the game or anything. No. It's just odd. So he gives you the water seal, which uh, this is the second seal that you've gotten in the game, and... uh, will let your uh, little uh, let you uh, cross a broken bridge uh, with the help of your uh, weird fish demon bro. Yeah, it's a glorified key. It's a glorified key that you can miss and have to search everywhere for, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But but before you leave Shibuya, there's another building and you go in and it's asking for an ID code. It gives you some kind of like weird like error text looking kind of thing and it's asking you for an id code that you don't have yet so yeah you uh pretty much uh are done with shibuya for yeah now. maybe we should think we should remember that building for later perhaps it will be important um so uh we, we, we walk we're down the road a little and we end up in ginza and in uh, ginza we got you know, it's they're too dungeon esque but really they're just two different buildings that both enter you into the first person view one of the buildings is almost nothing but shops. Like, it serves no other purpose. You can't progress to a boss through that building. Um, inside is a bar, which is pretty standard in this game. The bar is a lot more common in uh, Megami Tensai 2 than 1. Um, and if you buy an old man a drink, he tells you, on the night of a full moon, witches hold a Sabbath in Ueno Park, but you need proof of being a Deva worshiper to get in, which is your hint about how to progress through a game in just a few moments. You go into uh, you go into like a cyber technics lab. I think it is actually just called the uh, cyber lab. But um, the scientist there is saying, you know, like, oh, we're still working and working hard, even though the apocalypse happened. Uh, okay, yeah. So you enter a cyber lab, and I, I don't think you can really do much with the cyber lab at this point. But you do need to remember it for later again. Um, and. Uh, so get, you get out of the shops, you, you upgrade your armor, you get ready for the next big set of battles. Um, and, uh, you know, despite the armor actually having stat boosts in this game, I, I don't remember any specific pieces of armor that do anything interesting except like the curse stuff, because that fucks you over. Yeah, it's really weird, too, because like. You know, I mean, the information in the UI is so minimal as befits like an RPG of its time. But like you go in the shops and there'll be multiple types of armor for different prices that seem to have like the same like. Defense yeah. Benefits. And sometimes even when you equip them, you can't really see the distinction that they make to your stats. Like sometimes they just don't show up or something, but there's clearly a difference and the game doesn't quite tell it to you. Yeah, like the big thing it hides is there's definitely armor that has elemental resistances because um, in, a, in a little bit later fight, uh, you fight Bale, and I used one set of armor against him the first time, completely got obliterated by his uh, Zeo lightning spell, bought the best armor that I could I had access to, then all of a sudden the Zeo spell did like two damage to me, even though there was nothing indicating that it made me resistant to lightning. And like I think, I guess some of it, they just kind of want you to intuit 
based off the names, but the names are just like, oh, dragon head armor. I wonder, I don't, I don't know. Is it going to protect me from fire? With, what? Well, with games of this era, I can't help but wonder like how, how much of this design is them not thinking that people would want this information and how much of it was them thinking, oh man, people will buy a strategy guide so they can have all this right in front of them. Very good point. Or how much of it was actually included in like the, the instruction manual. You know, we don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely hard to know that one. They don't translate those. Yeah. All right. So once uh, you you uh, back out on the surface before you go into the other building, which is the actual dungeon, you'll, there's a little Buddhist temple. The monk will say, "Hey, could you come back here after defeating the boss down there? I have I, if you if you can beat him, I have something for you." Um, and uh, you uh, you go down there um, and. Uh, you, uh, Pazuzu talks to you, I guess, because he's omnipotent or he has some sort of computer sensors awaiting your arrival. And he pleads with you. I thought he was talking to you through your uh, computer. So can he, he just has some sort of like GPS tracking unit that he's able to see where you are. He just messages <laughs> you with ICQ. Oh, yeah, of course. Gonna, <laughs> gotta ping him on the IRC or gotta write down that 30 digit code for his username. <laughs> Those are the things I remember about ICQ. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so Pazuzu he, he pleads with you to drop the witch from your party. He's he's personally offended at you. Um, you know, just so we're clear here, you are defying Pazuzu, but you are not set on a path yet. You do not. If you play your cards right, you don't. You aren't set on a path until the very end point of the game. At which point, you can basically choose either ending. Yeah, you don't actually have a meaningful choice in this game until uh, right at the very end of, well, the very end of this episode. Yes, and we will definitely talk about that for a moment. Um, uh, an NPC tells you a demon summoner in Korakin steals things from the many people he's defeated. He probably has lots of unique treasures, and that's a little bit of foreshadowing for when we get to Korakin. I probably pronounced that all sorts of wrong. So anyway, you're exploring, you find the basilisk, um, you fight him. And uh, he goes down, you'll sense a theme here pretty quickly. Not much for trouble there, really. Did anyone notice anything interesting about this fight? I think uh, he tries to paralyze you. Which is, you know, nothing because you got the Peraldi or whatever the spell is called that just instantly unparalyzes. Oh, yeah. And the support items that do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is around the time when uh, some of the randomly generating de- generating demons seem to be actually stronger than some of these mini bosses. Yeah, definitely a little bit. And, uh, you know, there's a big I think a big difference in this game and the first game with the demons is you're way more um, actively recruiting demons all the time. Like I mm-hmm. in the first game, there's certainly a point where it felt like. None of the demons I'm talking to anymore can even talk or just won't join my party for for any reason. And uh, in two, you are constantly running into new demons who you will just like you'll just drop your fusions, whatever fusion you've been building, because it's just, oh, this is 10 levels weaker than a basic demon I can just capture right on this floor. Even though a lot of the demons still won't talk. To you yeah, about, like a, that's a holdover from. the. So it's like game. two or three maybe per area that you can actually access and then use them to get like access to five or six new fusions. Um, so we beat the basilisk and then you're presented with two paths. If you go down one, it's mostly a dead end. What you will find there is the frozen body of brace yourselves. Shocking twist. 
the final boss of the first game. Our buddy Lucy. Yep, good old Lucifer. He's uh, frozen down there. Um, not really sure. I don't remember him freezing in the first game. I thought he just sort of sunk into the center of the earth with everything else. Maybe uh, Izanami uh, frozen. Very, It's very possible. But anyway, so he's there, and he's there to haunt you forever. Um, and uh, you can't really do anything with him, but you can hear people talk about him every once in a while. Uh, and uh, I'm assuming, I don't actually have hard evidence for this, that he's the third path. He's like the the neutral god compared to like Bale and Pazuzu or no? I think that's the way it seems having played the other SMT games. But the way it actually plays out, I think he's just a third boss. Just a third boss. Ugh. Yeah, so there's, e- there's, there's evil pretending to be good. There's evil being evil. Then there's just the devil. Prison. Prison evil. <laughs> but before we, uh, before we go too deep, much past the basilisk we should go back to that monk who asked us to defeat him in the first place he will give you a key item amitabha's might uh what does amitabha's might when does that come into play exactly i don't think it comes into play at all in this episode because i have no idea what it does fair enough because i definitely don't recall ever using it but i do remember him giving you an item that you just sort of have forever so uh you go back down to where you fought the basilisk there's two different places uh and uh oh there it is uh if you go down far enough you'll find the suzuki company uh you uh at some point you uh you met a gentleman an npc in a random town who says my last name's suzuki if you want to meet the head of the suzuki company you need a card with his name on it luckily that's my name too and then he hands you a suzuki card I think that happens in Shibuya. Oh, okay. But I, I love that. Yeah. I love that you can just, oh, yeah, here's his, here's his name on a card. Can I meet him, please? Well, you know, it was the late 80s. You know, maybe business cards had a lot more, uh, a lot more power <laughs> then. Uh, yeah, don't look too hard at the company name. Just look at the last name. <laughs> perfect disguise. So you meet uh, Suzuki by handing him this business card that I, I can only assume only says his name in big block letters. Or big block uh, kanji, as it were. Uh, and he tells you about the third path between Bale and Pazuzu, awakening Lucifer from his icy slumber. Um, he doesn't really give you a lot of information about how to do this. It's more just, hey, just so you know. Or why he's running a corporation down at the bottom of a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, that is also a very good question. Like, what do, you, what do you make? How do you make money out of it? Who are your, Who's your <laughs> clientele? Is it the demons? Um, some, uh, so you meet another NPC that tells you some deva guy said he took a girl named Hiroko to Ikebukuru, eh? You want to know why the devas would talk to me? Because I had an inverted cross, which tells you three things, well, two things. One is that Hiroko, if you all remember, is Evan's girlfriend from the first game in the, uh, shelter area who gives you the fire pillar. Um, so she's back in the play. And the other is that the devas... To talk to them, you will need an inverted cross, which we will be stumbling on in just a few minutes. This dungeon, by the way, is very sprawling. And when you first get to it, it's a little bit overwhelming to know exactly which way is the best way to go. Um, You can stumble on a few pretty powerful enemies. Um, We didn't even mention it, but there is a... uh, 
or we don't have it in the notes, but there is a, a, a planned encounter, a non-random encounter, where you can run into a demon named Atlas who's frozen and in your path. And you have to un... Not frozen. Um, stone. A petrified, yeah, petrified. Yeah. There's the word. Um, so he, he ran across clearly a gorgon or a basilisk. Probably a basilisk. That makes the most sense, right? Uh, so he, he he's in stone and you got to unstone him to get past him. And once he's out, I think he's a free recruit basically. Or you can just say, nah, and he leaves. But I don't know why you would because he's one of the strongest demons you'd have access to at this point. So you, you can go up a stair and you can just find yourself in a boss fight with Tiamat, which is, uh, no, don't do that. You're going to die and it's going to be a bad time. So if you, uh, the, a guy even warns you, hey, Tiamat is hanging around here. You should probably not be here. So the game really is telling you, come back later. And that Tiamat is actually guarding a very important critical path that uh, we will have to defeat him later. It's not even optional. If you go under Ginza, there's a subway system that has a lab guarded by sentry guns. And uh, just go inside uh, and you'll find a scientist who is trying to develop a computer to summon demons. If you show him yours, he gives you a petrification cure, which is how you go and unstone Atlas. You can't just use um, the petrification item that you have in your inventory. I actually had forgotten about that. I like how he's uh, he's like real cocky when you first walk in and then uh, all you have to do is show you uh, show him your uh, comp. And uh, he's like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't want to know any, anything else about you. Uh, here's a really powerful. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm remembering that now. He's like really excited. Like, you'll never believe what I'm doing. I'm going to summon demons. And it's like, I've been doing that the whole game, dude. <laughs> Um, the other, so you, you got one more exit and that leads to the ca- town of Kudarakuin. And before you get to it, there is a poster advertising a fighting tournament in that town and that there's going to be a great prize for anyone who can win it. So with that, without further ado, then we are now in the town of Kudarakuin. Kuen is um, it, it's not a huge town, but it has kind of all the standard gambling fixings from the uh, SMT games or from the Mega Ten One games. Uh, there's one new one uh, that is the um, I think it's called Code Breakers, where you basically play uh, Mastermind, where you have to guess what uh, Mastermind, or also kind of like the hacking game from Fallout Three and Four, where you have to guess what order three different numbers are in. Uh, from numbers zero to nine. Like with Mastermind, it tells you whether or not the number was a hit, a miss, or a hit, but in the wrong spot. And there are some actually pretty crazy good rewards if you save scum your way into doing that, uh, because the only way to get the best reward is to guess the three-digit number correctly on turn one. Which seems ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, there, there's no way you can reasonably do that without cheating or using save states. But yeah, that, that's the only new gambling thing. You have your standard stuff, your slots, your big and small. Uh, but there's a new thing here called the arena. The main attraction to the arena is that you can win one of the uh, the sun pillar. 
In order to win the arena, you have to have your demons fight for five rounds in a row. Uh, you can't heal, you can't pause, you can't leave and switch out demons really. You just you send your demon on a one-on-one -on -one battle. It fights, you can't control it. If it happens to survive, you win. If it doesn't, you lose and you get kicked out and have to try again. Uh, this is kind of the first point in the game where I really had to, um, uh, partially because the bosses are kind of disappointing in this game, uh, this is the first point where I had to stop and just grind out demon fusions for more powerful demons. Uh, and I managed to do it through a combination. I came back later. I didn't. I did not even try the arena. When, well, my, I, I sent Atlas in, and he won like three of the fights. And then when I saw the fourth fight, I was like, "Oh, there's no way he can win this. I'll just come back when I have more powerful demons." Yeah. So these fights are actually randomly generated. So you could get like a super hard boss on the first round, or you could get just really simple fights the entire match. Uh, so the way I did it was a good mix of Atlas, um, and then I did a couple of triple fusions with some grinding and. Uh, uh, Sphinx was the one that just absolutely dominated these matches for me. Uh, so however you beat it, if you manage to fight, uh, win five fights in a row, you are uh, rewarded for it, and you get the Sun Pillar. Uh, there is one other significant arena-based thing in that town, and that is a very cocky man who is hanging out at a building near the arena. He brags about how he is the best at demons. Uh, he has the best demons, and he's the best at training them, and if you tell him, nah, you don't, and you're not... Uh, he challenges you, you beat up his incredibly easy demon, and he gives you the Ridiculously, seal. you don't have to have demons summoned to beat that guy. Yeah, like, it, I, I kind of think it's just there to give you an interesting thing yeah. to do, because it's like, well, we, we want to gate you somehow so you don't just skip this town entirely. I guess make you, I, I guess fight this one guy. And I guess that's a reasonable thing about the pillars, is that they're not necessarily, they're not level gates, they're, ex they're exploration gates. They're making sure that you're actually combing the landscape to find them. Yeah. And, and this one in the gambling town, like, if, if I hadn't found people talking about it in this town, I might have missed that pillar entirely. Because um, unlike the Earth Seal, unlike the Seals, the Pillars, it's not until much later that you even notice that you can't progress without getting all yeah. of them. Mm -hmm. so, so, just so we're clear, audience, about the arena fight, you have to do all five fights in a row completely. Like you, like, you can switch your demons between the fights, but you can't leave the arena at any point during that. It's not win three, leave, and come back and win the last two. Yeah, you can't switch out and you can't, you can't heal, you can't do anything, can't resurrect. All right, so once you get the Earth Seal, you can now ride your sea buddy over to the town of Ikibukuro, which is um, kind of a shitty place. Uh, I don't like this town at all, or this dungeon, or what it does to you, but it's it's kind of interesting. So um, before we get into the town proper, uh, there's a kind of a little interesting trick here. Uh, there is a piece of graffiti scrawled in one of the buildings that says, I've taken Izanagi and Izanami. If you want to save them, head to the northwestern outskirts until you find the broken statue of Buddha, Lord Asmodai. <laughs> and this sends you on kind of the first fuck you side quest of the game. Um, it, it, it's, it's, actually, it's my favorite fuck you so far that I've found. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, so, so if you actually follow this advice, you will find this... You can't really recognize it as a statue of Buddha, but you'll find this weird little green lumpy thing in the northwest of the uh, of the desert. You enter it, and then it sends you to the demon world, to hell, uh, where the music is very cool, but other than that, there's not a lot to do. Um, there is one tower for you to enter into. Uh, if you go into that, Izanami immediately says, Oh, no, you're not supposed to be here yet. Why are you in hell? Uh, head up to the top floor, and I'll get you out of here. Uh, it's a pretty dull <laughs> combat. 
combat dungeon. You fight a few monsters. Uh, I, I got some pretty good summons uh, this way just by leveling up and talking to people. Uh, other than that, it's just kind of a, I guess, an extended joke. Uh, the top floor in Izanami sends you back to the real world. So back in. Yeah, Ibu- back in Ikebukuro. Look, here's the thing about Ikebukuro. <laughs> I can't hear that word without thinking of the anime Dorarara. Have you guys ever seen that or heard of it? I have no. not. It is. Do you happen to know Bakino? Oh, yeah. I do. So Dorarara is in the same continuity as Bakino. It's set in the modern era, which is like 2008, I think, when the show was aired. Um, and it takes place entirely in Ikebukuro, and it's nowhere near as interesting as Bakino. But there is a, a lady who is basically a headless horseman, but she's a motorcycle rider. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, so back in Ikebukuro, uh, there is a um, – they have a healer. Uh, they do not have a fusion temple, but um, – uh, once you heal up, there is a fairly large tower for you to explore. It's five floors. Uh, it's kind of labyrinthine, uh, probably the most confusing dungeon so far. But once you finally get to the fifth floor... Wait, wait, Evan. You know how I you know how I just said that that side quest was my favorite fuck you? I lied. Yeah. This is my favorite fuck you. Yeah, yeah, the actual best fuck you is coming right here after you've been primed by that side quest. Uh, after working your way up a fairly complex uh, labyrinthine and boring combat dungeon, you find a stone relief on the fifth floor. Uh, it's a picture of a face, and it's hold- holding a pillar inside. Wow, you need a pillar. So when you reach inside, it bites your arm off. <laughs> uh, which has a couple of interesting consequences. Uh, so it's not a fight. You just lose your arm. Uh, unfortunately, you apparently lose the ability to also use your computer because I guess you can't ask anyone else to use it for you or enter in commands, which means no map. Is it not on the arm that got bitten No doing off. anything. So you pretty much have no option but to retreat. Uh, if you remember that closed uh, cyber lab back in Ginza, you have to double back all the way back there, which I'll add is kind of a pain in the ass because the subway system is not pleasant. And if you haven't found the teleport that's uh, about a town over, this is quite the backtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back in Ginza, you have the cyber labs. They'll charge you a pittance. I think it's like 5,000 maca. And they'll give you a new cyber arm to replace your old arm. Uh, functionally, it's identical. You don't get any extra HP. But what you do get is that you get an upgrade to your comp, allowing you to hold 10 demons instead of 7. So with, a, with the cyber arm in hand, you um, head back to Ikebukuro, go back to the fifth floor in this boring long dungeon, and then you grab the mercury pillar. Uh, that face in the wall tries to bite you again. You resist because you have a strong cyber arm now, and you've got the pillar. Then you fight the boss of the d- dungeon. This is Apollyon. Yeah, so uh, you fight Apollyon. He is a pretty standard, boring demon. He looks kind of like a pudgy, just mass. One of the ugliest demons in the game. Uh, but you get Solomon's ring back after you defeat him, and that's pretty much it for this dungeon. Uh, you have the pillar, you have your ring, and you are on to Ueno. Yeah, so uh, you, uh, you head over to Ueno. And um, there's a cathedral of shadows there, so uh, you can uh, do some uh, demon fusion if you need to do that. And uh, this is where the uh, Church of Deva is actually based. You'll know where they're at because there's a uh, large building in the center of town, which is in the shape of a hexagram, uh, which is not suspicious at all. (laughs) And um, you go into a room, or you go into a building... And there's a guy there who uh, says, uh, if it's not the night of the full moon, that uh, you should come back later. 
So you need to wait till it's the uh, night of the full moon, and you need to have an inverted cross to uh, get into the Church of Deva. Manipulating time. I've never actually figured out a correlation between number of steps and the passage of time. It just seems like eventually time will move forward. I haven't noticed much of a correlation. It seems to happen, and it seems to happen pretty quickly. And I don't think it just progresses on its own, right? Like, if you just stand there, it's the same night forever, I assume. No, I think I think it's tied to your number yeah, of steps. Yeah, that makes sense. But, so once you get into the church, you meet uh, a uh, badass Baphomet-looking uh, demon uh, who is named uh, Leonard. You know, like the, 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 the name that you that haunted you when you were a child, Leonard. Or the obscure uh, Bill Cosby movie from the mid-80s. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this badass demon named Leonard um, is uh, basically uh, running his church like uh, Caesar at the Colosseum. He will summon other demons to fight you before you can actually battle him. It's not in our notes, but I think he summons four demons. Something like that. that right? I don't think it was more than that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're not too bad at this point. But, um, you know, after you get through this mini kind of like demon rush, you uh, finally battle Leonard and uh, you get the Jupiter Pillar. And then after you defeat him, you have to go back to Ikebukuru to uh, get the Wind Seal. Once uh, you're uh, done with uh, with uh, with Leonard the demon, you uh, have to head back to uh, Ikebukuru to uh, get the wind seal. And then uh, northwest of uh, Ikebukuru, uh, you find this little cave, and it's the uh, cave of Mammon. Inside, you will find uh, Mammon, who's uh, just kind of your standard uh, demon guy, and uh, he's a servant of Baal. And he asks you for uh, Pazuzu's head. I think this is the first that you actually are getting uh, directly set up in opposition to uh, Pazuzu. Yeah, like before it's all, it's all you know, just story beats. But this is the first time where you actively have to campaign against him. You agree to the task and he uh, gives you Bale's Claw, which uh, will destroy the barriers in Shin- Shinjuku. However, if you go back to Shinjuku, you find that you can't get in to uh, the dungeon. And uh, what you actually have to do, which is totally unintuitive, and uh, thank God for facts, is uh, you have to go back to the hallways under uh, Kurakuin, find a barrier that matches the barriers that come up uh, when you try to go into a Pazuzu's dungeon in Shiguk- or Shinjuku. See, theoretically, if if you were playing the game as intended, you're going to find that barrier. 
and remember to come back later. And you'd have to hit that barrier first, go to Shinjuku, see that those barriers look exactly the same, then get Bale's Claw, mm. then go to Shinjuku again, discover it doesn't work there, and then it's supposed to click in your brain that you're supposed to go back down to the cave system to go through there. So, yeah, no, not the best. Uh... Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that there are multiple points in this game where you have to go back to the Ginza subway and remember very specific details from this little weird side dungeon that you did ages ago in this game. Yeah, there's at least there's mm-hmm. at least one more time coming up it very soon that we have to do it again. Yeah, you go through uh, this uh, dungeon. There's a... Uh... There's a save point, a cathedral, and a healer. Yeah, teleporting is probably your best bet right here. And so you just kind of like wait, make your way up the dungeon. And up on six, the sixth floor, you uh, run into our old friend, Evan. He now believes that he's the one true messiah. Like, but prior, uh, you were uh, fellow messiahs, but now he's convinced that he's the only one. And uh, if you remember our old friend, uh, Orthrus... Uh, Evan, or your friend, uh, summons him to uh, fight you. But uh, by this point, uh, if you're leveled up and you have like powerful demons, he's pretty easy. I, I love the dialogue line that Evan gives you after um, you defeat Orthus. Like, hmm, you defeated Orthus, but next time will be different. <laughs> There's no way you'll win two sure. times in a row. Yeah. And so then you come face to face with uh, Pazuzu, who... Uh, Early on in the game was uh, your uh, your navy your yes <laughs> convenient plot <laughs> device your navy yes precisely he was he was the one who set you out on your mission and you uh, come face to face with him and he's really not that he's kind of a pushover at this point so you know several thoughts yeah no definitely for me like my my main character my male main character had so much strength. He pretty much carried the entire party through that battle. I think three hits from my player character who was doing easily 30 or 40 damage above any demon I had just knocked him out of the park. Oh, definitely. Uh, I had a little bit of trouble with him the first time around because a couple of the demons I had summoned uh, were very weak to fire, and he casts a fire spell that hits two or three demons at once. Ah. Uh, But I just loaded a save, uh, changed up my team composition a little bit, and then, yeah, I just blew through the fight. Yeah, you know, so we were we've been talking a lot about how, you know, bosses are kind of easy, kind of go down pretty quick. And I think something that we're maybe not thinking about is the fact that the design of these games aren't so much about the boss fights. It's it's the journey, not the destination, guys. It's the challenge that they're (laughs) expecting from you is you bash your you beat your head against these paths in the dungeon surviving by the skin of your mm-hmm. neck or not surviving and having to remember what you learned anyway and using that information to further yourself and it you know i so when we're coming at this from a later later era perspective it seems weird that the bosses don't really do all that much but those aren't really the point of this game i don't think yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, one thing I do notice the bosses do is they seem less like, like you said, less like a mechanical thing that you build up to and is the climax of a lot of game systems coming together and more like, hey, let's make sure the player isn't too low level to move on to this next area. Yeah. Essentially, I think it's kind of a gate to make sure the player doesn't rush through an area and potentially miss uh, important details. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the some of the biggest challenges that I had in battles was when I had just been kind of approaching it, like just falling into the typical like JRPG grind for this era, and had like just been kind of slacking on demon fusion and getting newer and stronger demons. You know, and every once in a while, I'd hit a new dungeon, and there'd be some new demon in there that would just like wipe my shit out. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, th- I think part of why we're finding all these bosses e- easy is also that. And, well, I can only speak for myself here, but in the first game, the demons were so straightforward, the demon fusion was so simple and kind of easy to exploit that it wasn't very interesting. Uh, Whereas compared to that, like coming into this game now, it's like, oh man, this is the kind of demon fusion that I really want, where I can get all kinds of weird combinations and super overpowered demons. (laughs) Uh, So this game... The first one that we played so far out of two uh, that really rewards kind of going out and finding all the demons and messing around with what you can turn them into. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's also worth bearing in mind that, you know, I mean, this was the second game in the series, but we're coming into it with, uh, you know, having played multiple games in the series. And, you know, even though the demon fusion and those aspects are a little more primitive than they are in the later games. You know, it's not it's not as foreign a concept as it would have been like when the game was released in the late 80s. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, Demon Fusion, uh, been kind of struggling with it in this game in. So one, I've I'm in the second half of the game. I'm past where we're going to cover in this episode, obviously, and I'm still playing it. But I have yet to successfully find a triple fusion that actually increases the fuse demons level. You know what I'm talking about? Like where the the resulting demon will all, will be a lower level than the demons I'm putting into fuse. Oh yeah, definitely. I've found a couple of that. Uh, usually, uh, usually it denotes that whenever you go to fuse demons, you get a a bright zero that means these demons can fuse and they'll be more powerful. Uh, with a triple fusion, instead of a zero, it'll be like an exclamation point, uh, meaning it'll be a little bit lower level. Uh, most of them seem to be that, but I, I was able to find two or three really powerful triple fusions that were way more powerful than any of the demons going into them. Hmm. Uh, yeah. The one for this area being Sphinx. Yeah, I'm just not having that great a luck. And still, without something like a compendium, it's hard to, you know, go back to the lower demons and experiment with other combinations to see if they get different results once you've already sort of selected your choice. Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out that unlike almost any other game in the series, uh, there's no really good online resource for what fuses into what. Uh, you yeah. get a couple of examples in the, in the fact, <laughs> right. but like... The Demon Fusion in this game is, it follows a model that's closer to the later Shin Megami games, uh, but there's no game where the fusions act just like they do here. Yeah, yeah, we are flying blind. Um, You know, those zeros on the fusion chart, I thought they were just like, you know, okay circles. They are actually integers. I've seen them show up as ones. What does that mean? Maybe I'm misinterpreting the one as a um, maybe I'm misinterpreting the one as an exclamation. No, there are ones and exclamation points. I think you're oh, right about what the exclamation point represents, but I have not figured anything about what the one represents. So what it might be, um, and this is just a wild guess on my part, in a lot of the later games, fusing on a full moon gives you unpredictable effects, and it could be denoting something like that. Fair. Anyway, so uh, we're finishing up right after Pazuzu. So where do we go? We, anyway. we hit up a bar, right? Well, what, you know, once you take Pazuzu down, um, you have the option of leaving his head behind, which uh, you have that option, but you don't really want to do that. Um, I can't imagine that gets you anything worthwhile, just ignoring it and leaving no. it there, right? It seems like a really odd uh, choice to even, like, give you the option. But They, they do know. that. They've done that a few times where they, they 
it, it doesn't seem like it's even relevant for you to choose anything, but they still make you do it just to make sure that, I don't know, that you're listening. Or maybe to screw you if you're not paying attention. Fair. Yeah, so uh, you take uh, Pazuzu's head with you, uh, ideally, um, and you also retrieve the Mars Pillar. And by beating him, you get access to the uh, Shinjuku elevator. And so if you go down to uh, basement first floor, uh, you get access to the city of Nakano, as well as uh, a group of shops. You go into one room, and it says a stagnant air is flowing around you, which usually means that uh, you should come back here or make a note of this area. And then there's a bar that you go into, and... uh, Seems like uh, people aren't too happy with you for uh, taking out Pazuzu. There's a uh, quote-unquote unstable patron who uh, says, uh, So you're the ones who defeated Pazuzu. That means Lord Bale now has free reign to do whatever he wants. You should have just left them alone in their power struggle. And uh, there's also a man who uh, tells you that there's a uh, Buddhist temple that's hidden in a poisonous swamp, uh, as (laughs) Buddhist temples often are. Um, and it's awaiting a messiah, which, you know, that you are the true messiah, you know, or you presume. And, uh, so you head out, uh, looking for that. I I really like that comment the unstable patron makes about, uh, Lord Bale now has free reign to do whatever he wants. My favorite line in Megami Tensei 1 that had ultimately no bearing or consequence to the actual game was just a random NPC that told you that demon politics are complicated. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's not like it's going above and beyond the Call of Duty here in in Megami Tensei 2, but at least they're actually playing with the concept, which is what I want. Like, show me these demons actually living out their horrific, tyrannical reigns. Yeah, like this, this is the first glimpse into the sort of inner workings and infightings of the demons, but a theme throughout all of the Megaton games is that demons kind of act like mob bosses just fighting each other for turf and uh, getting little populations of, you know, basically cities uh, that are loyal to them, but they don't, they don't rule in the same way like a king would. They rule more like a mob boss extorting from the locals would. Right, right. Then, after we're done with Lord uh, Pazuzu there, we work our way to Nakano. And Nakano is a, is a pretty barren town, probably the most barren town we've run into in the entire game. There's very little here. There's pretty much two place, two things to see. You got a men's armor shop to upgrade your hero as much as you want. And then you find a representative of the Messiah Church. And they ask, basically, have you been back to the intelligence building back in the Shibuya? And if you recall, we had talked earlier about a building that had some sort of 
automatic robot guard that was yelling at you to enter a passcode that you didn't have. Well, now you have it, so we can head all the way back to Shibuya. Now, uh, Evan, this is enforced at all because I haven't asked you this question already tonight. But uh, did you, <laughs> did you, uh, did, were you able to do this sequentially? I had to actually come back later and uh, take care of this. Uh, yeah, I was able to do it sequentially, uh, primarily because I spent a lot of time in this game uh, getting lost and generally not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, so I was level 40 by the time I got back to Shibuya. Uh, Paul, what about you? Um, I did it, but I uh, I did it sequentially, but I uh, saw the note. I think it was in the fact, or maybe it was just in your notes, that uh, I needed to be at level 40, so I just ground up there. Fair. Yeah, I just, I, uh, you know, ultimately I still, I got ahead, and uh, by the time I basically got to the point where you needed to do this, I was still level 38. So no matter what, I, I had to grind, yeah. But anyway, you get back to Shibuya, you go to the intelligence building, you you pop in the password real quick, and then you're in a very small dungeon. It's very small. It's uh, maybe five tiles wide, and I don't even think eight to ten tiles long. And uh, it's two floors, very short. What is interesting about this dungeon is there are no random demon encounters. There are only automatic turrets and Robocop enemies. And the fights themselves aren't actually all that different. You can pretty much auto-battle your way through most of them. It's just visually the the cues are a bit different here. Yeah, and the turrets mm-hmm. themselves, they behave just like a uh, damage tile in any other dungeon. Yeah. Um, so you find a computer at the very top of this dungeon, and once you're level 40... You can open the computer and start playing a game called Devil Busters. Anyone remember Devil Busters from when they were a kid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back before the, Evan was a jerk. Yeah, the beloved Super Famicom game, Devil Busters. Um, and, uh, you know, there's not a ton to do in Devil Busters. The main thing is here you can recruit Cerberus. I believe you just – the elevator you see – when you first played uh, Devil Busters back at the beginning of the game, on the eighth floor there was an elevator, and I don't even know if we mentioned it, but you could never get it to work. And theoretically, you would assume you'd go by, down, fight uh, t- the Taurus demon. Wait, what's his name? Uh, Minotaur. Minotaur. You go fight the Minotaur, and then you'd get the Orb of Silence and go up and down the elevator as much as you please. But that's not how it played out, because you were kicked out of the game pretty much once you did that. So, the elevator now works, and you can explore the bottom five floors of this dungeon. And way down at the first floor, you can just recruit Cerberus. He's the most powerful demon that you can get at this point in the game. And uh, he uh, he helps you carry you through for a, a good few hours. Yeah, and this was mm-hmm. actually uh, foreshadowed a little bit at the very end of the previous game where Cerberus said, uh, I'm going to lie and sleep until you need me again. Well, it's been 50 years and your buddy Cerberus is back. Hooray! Yeah, yeah. Unlike the last game, he's not particularly low leveled. He's actually pretty, uh, pretty high leveled. At least this this point in the game. Yeah, for yeah. the there's definitely a different point in the game where you would uh, retrieve him in the first one. Yeah, I managed to keep him in my party. Like he's powerful enough to stay in my party until uh, basically right after the end of where we're going to be cutting off today's episode. Right. I think I had him. I maybe lost him a little before that, but he he basically stays relevant for the rest of the first half of the game. Anyway, uh, there is one other thing you can do inside Devil Busters. There's a little side quest you can complete. I attempted to, to do this side quest, but I couldn't actually get it to activate the final part of it, so I just gave up. And But you can basically – there's a father who says he has four children, and one of them has been replaced by a demon. You go to each of the children, hear their story, figure out which one of them is lying, 
and then you tell the father that that child has been replaced by a demon, he will give you a key once you're done with that, which you can go down to the bottom floor, open up a door that you can't open otherwise, and behind there will be the Devil Analyzer, a program for your computer which allows you to see the stats of the last five demons that you fought. Yeah, in order to get the Analyzer, there's a really short little boss fight against Nidhogg. There's nothing really remarkable about the fight. Uh, we don't have any notes on it because I think I beat him in three turns. Yeah, he didn't seem that substantial. But again, I didn't fight him because I couldn't activate it. Um, well, now I have a mythology question. What's a Nidhogg and what does it have to do with fencing? <laughs> so what I know about the Nidhogg mythology is that it's this gigantic worm that's supposed to devour the world. I think in Nordic myth and the uh, whole fencing well, thing with that with that game was basically, well, the world's ending, so I guess let's have a tournament. Really? And the winner gets sacrificed to the Nidhogg. Really? That's the plot of that game? Oh, yeah, you're, you're fighting to the death <laughs> for the right to sacrifice yourself to the Nidhogg. It, oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I had no idea. So uh, once we're out of here, we go back to Mammon, and uh, we got remember, we got Pazuzu's head for Mammon. We got to give it to him. Give it to him. <laughs> Who was surprised by the outcome of this fetch quest? <laughs> There's a demon and you gotta Not fight me. him. <laughs> he says he has something for you. Oh yeah, he does say he has something for you. So you think you're gonna get a reward and that reward is a fight with Mammon. It's nothing yep. really to write home about. It's pretty quick. It's pretty close to a save point. You're probably only gonna do it once. Anyway, you go down, uh, once you beat him, you go down a small hallway. It's It looks like it's gonna be a dungeon, but it, it's really just a small hallway. And uh, you end up on another section of Wasted Tokyo that you weren't able to reach previously. Um, it's a bit more open. It's a bit more wastelandish. I mean, nothing huge or all that interesting occurs. You go over to the right a little bit, um, and you'll find a save point. Yay! It's really out in the middle of nowhere, which is kind of odd for save points at this point. And honestly, it still remains a little odd because most save points are in cities, except for these next two. So you find a Buddhist temple, um, and the Buddhist temple basically, does he want proof that you're the Messiah, or he asks you that you're the Messiah, or does he just say you're the Messiah? I think he recognizes you as, yeah, he, he wants you to prove that you're a Messiah, and that you're brave enough to risk your life for it, for whatever uh, it is. Ah, yes. Ah, uh, yes, it. Just being the Messiah. And uh, he, there's a little dungeon right next to him, and... Um, he will. He uh, he asks you to go down to the dungeon, and it's a very. We have it written down as low visibility, but basically in the first game and in this game, there is a sort of fog which blocks your vision of what's in front of you. But you can still use your map. You can usually still use Mapara, and this dungeon is just full of that, except for like four or five specific square cutoff rooms. I hate these dungeons so much. These no visibility dungeons. Uh, yeah, they're not great. I mean, it's it's just a hey. You remember which button is your map, or do you remember how to cast Mapara check? With me, I've yeah. kind of gotten in the habit of kind of looking at Mapara instead of the game, uh, the actual game screen for a lot of navigating. Uh, kind of a bad habit I got from the first game. So, so it, was, it was pretty pretty standard for me. I guess the only reason I don't I don't cast Mapara as often as you, and I think the main reason is. Like, Madpar will tell you, like, which way will be... When I'm exploring, it's not that helpful, but when I've already explored the dungeon, I think it's great. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Like, 
I think with me, I have just an easier time visualizing the maps as an, a top-down thing versus a first-person thing. Totally, uh, I can get This type that. of first-person game that I just never... This this type of like tile-based, move one square at a time in first-person game never really clicked with me. But anyway, you uh, find a boss, Kaiju of Ritra. I mean, there's some treasure and stuff. I think, you know, a, a, a strength increase or something like that. Nothing all that great. But you uh, fight a boss of Kaiju Vitra, and you fight it, and it goes down pretty quick. <laughs> and uh, you receive the Venus Pillar. So this entire thing was just an excuse for you to go get another plot-relevant item. So good, I guess. And you've now proved to the world that you're the Messiahs. And uh, spoilers for Morrowind, but um, I kind of like to imagine this in the same way as uh, in Morrowind, they have a similar thing where they think you might be their savior. And the way they find out is basically, well, you're the savior if you survive trying to save us. And if you don't, you're not the savior. And I kind of get the same sense from this. It's like, you're the Messiahs. Unless you die, then you're so, not the Messiahs. Wait, wait, wait. So their, their method of trying to find the Messiah is basically the same. Like, that's how you find out if it's a witch. Like, oh, if you drown, no, you weren't a witch, but if you do... I mean, otherwise, these trials don't really make any sense. They're basically saying, like, go to this blind dungeon, kill this, for lower-level characters, a very strong enemy. And if you die, you're not the messiahs. If you live, you are the messiahs. I'm I'm actually going to play Morrowind very soon, so I will see if I feel that that is similar. I'm sure it is. Um, So, you uh, beat that guy, you go down just a little south from the Buddhist temple, and... There's another save point already. That's pretty weird. I don't really understand the design decision by putting them so close together. Like, they feel just way too close. Like, I, if uh, anything, I would have expected this save point to go right next to Bale's castle because that's really what this save point is for. Yeah, I, th- I think this is designed to be like a way to teleport back and kind of refresh yourself after the whole poison swamp thing Yeah, uh, before you move on to the next interesting challenge. Speaking of interesting challenge, um, once you have the appropriate gear, you can then return to your buddy, the sea turtle Mora, who will transport you supposedly to Bale's palace. Unfortunately, there's a slight detour, and in a move that would make Griffin McElroy blush, uh, Zataran swallows you whole, and you end up right in his tummy. Uh, <laughs> this so, is oh, wait, 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 wait. Zataran, so before you ever even know that Zataran is a demon, I mean... I, is this this is a mythological creature from somewhere? I assume, but no, I, I haven't heard of him before. Yeah, so as far as I knew, Zatar, Zaratan is not uh, an established mythological figure, but he, when people spoke of Zaratan, it sounded as if it was a location and not a thing. That that kind of makes sense because if you look at the sprite for Zeratan, I realize I've been pronouncing it Zataran like the rice guy. But, um, <laughs> if you look on Zeratan's back, it looks like an island. Oh, so maybe, maybe they were right. seeing him as more of a geographical, a ge- like a geological feature rather than an actual monster. Apparently, yeah, he's uh, he's a figure like in folklore and uh, is like a uh, is a cryptid, kind of in the same uh, realm as uh, Nessie. Okay, but, so big sea monster. Yeah, it has more historical basis than Nessie, but yeah. Okay, well, uh, your buddy Zeratan uh, swallows you whole. Uh, you end up in his tummy. Uh, what is probably the grossest looking dungeon in the game? Uh, everything looks sort of <laughs> like you're, you're basically in his intestines. It's kind of like the last level of Contra gross. Um, this is the most frustrating dungeon, I think, of the entire game by a country mile. 
at least uh, at least so far like i'm much further past this than uh, than i was but man that this dungeon is a kicker yeah, this is easily worse than anything they had in the first game, uh, in my opinion. I mean, which, which again, is saying something, because like, this game normally has been pretty fun, pretty straightforward. It hasn't thrown many curveballs at you. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple things that make this really unpleasant. Uh, the first thing is, there's no way out. Uh, you have a couple of uh, items that allow you to escape from dungeons, uh, some spells that allow you to do the same thing. Uh, none of those work here. Uh, so if you didn't use that aforementioned save point, uh, you're kind of boned. Uh so the, the the main the main threat here is that there are these uh, damage tiles because you're in his stomach being digested. Uh, so every few steps you'll take damage. Some of them can be avoided. Some of them are mandatory. Uh, so essentially, this there are multiple corridors in this dungeon that exist purely as a, hey, do you have enough MP or healing items to just get through this entire dungeon? Now, the, to be fair, the the FAQ that we read um, highly suggests that you go to Rags Shop and purchase several uh, core shields i believe they're called which allow you to i guess they just take the damage for you for a brief period of time or something like that yeah and i'll add that i totally forgot about that and i had multiple core shields on me and didn't use a single one of them making this dungeon way less pleasant for myself <laughs> so i um completely decided to ignore the faq's advice went to zaratan and just tanked all that damage and by the time I got out, I had about four MP left on my magic character and zero jewels. So, yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. Uh, I tanked the damage. I, I ran out of jewels and MP restoring items uh, and had to load a save. And basically what I did then was I went through, I mapped out exactly like where the different points of the dungeon you have to hit. Because uh, you have to do two things. Uh, the first thing you have to do is you have to find the Saturn pillar in the northeast of the dungeon. And then you have to find the exit in the northwest. And heaven help you if you go to the northwest side first. Yeah. So I, I basically made myself a little map of exactly where to go and where to dodge the traps. Then came back and e even the second time, knowing exactly where to go, where to step, where to avoid the traps, I still ended up having to use a Soma to restore my uh, second characters, uh, to restore your uh, lady friend's uh, MP ones just to keep everybody up. <laughs> oh, and, and to add insult to injury, after that whole experience, uh, the guy that's at the end of the dungeon that lets you out makes you give up half your maca. <laughs> so okay so 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 to accompany our most favorite fuck you section of these games this is my least favorite fuck you of this game <laughs> it's just so tedious and annoying and if they had given you any way to like see the traps or combat them better than just core shields because i feel like the core shields aren't a great answer to that problem so, once you make it out of Zeratan, you are now on the shores next to Bale's Castle. Uh, if you had previously tried to get to Bale's Castle without going through this whole route, uh, there would be a little construction worker-looking guy that would say, uh, Oh, you can't pass this way without a pass. And uh, one thing I love about that screen is that, at least on the Super Famicom version, you can see Bale's Castle in the background as, like, this kind of cyberpunky, super high-tech city. Mm -hmm. And you get kind of a glimpse of, like, Hey, Bale might be kind of a tyrant and a gang lord, but... His people seem to be living okay. My favorite part of that, that interaction with that construction worker is after he says you can't come in without a pass or whatever, he all, he then says, what's that? You don't need a bridge? And, <laughs> and that's before you even are aware of Zeratan and his all-consuming maw. Yeah, I like the image of the main character as being this just like – 
completely boneheaded tough guy that's like, you can't cross this bridge without a pass. Oh, yeah, I don't need a bridge. I'll, I'll cross without one. <laughs> like, no, no plan, just really cavalier. Uh, yeah, so Bale's Castle is in the middle of another swamp. Uh, at this point, these swamps seem to be less kind of a real gameplay impediment and more just a way to make you inconveniently dip into a menu for a couple seconds. And just just um, so we're clear, the, the consequences of a swamp is you'll lose a few MP per step, not much, or HP, not MP, and um, you have a small chance of getting either you or your summon demons poisoned, and that's it. Yep. And uh, so once you actually get access to the dungeon, you can walk across, back across the bridge, go back to the save point, heal and teleport all you want. Uh, but the dungeon itself is uh, pretty accommodating. On the first floor of the dungeon, you get a shop, uh, all the gambling stuff that you could want, and a healer. Uh, so you basically have all the accommodations except for a Cathedral of Shadows for fusing right here. Other than that, the dungeon's pretty straightforward. Um, it's a little bit tricky. Uh, there's a couple spots where uh, if you step on the wrong spot, it's going to teleport you out of the dungeon back into the swamp. Uh, but mostly you're just fighting your way up to the fourth floor to take on Bale. And actually, I just want a small note. It's not tra- teleport in that dungeon. It's actually the floor opens out from under you and you fall into the swamp. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So once you get up to bail, um, your buddy Evan tries to send uh, – he, he kind of knows that he's fucked up because you've already killed Pazuzu. Uh, but he sends demons after you and then you fight his incredibly weak demons one at a time. And once you kill the last one, you hear terrible sounds coming from the back room where Bale was. And then the sounds have stopped. Uh, you walk in and your buddy Evan realizes Pazuzu's been manipulating him all along. Uh, something everybody else realized 15 hours ago. And it <laughs> cues- he dies, giving you back the Solomon's ring and it triggers the boss fight with Bale. Um, yeah, the sprite is pretty awesome. It's this uh, worm-headed dude riding a two-head demon skeleton Batmobile. Well, it's more like a chariot thing. I'm not really sure. It's like a mount, like a World of Warcraft mount. There we go. I think it's the most Souls-looking thing that we've seen in these games yet. Oh, definitely. And, you know... It is so badass. We were talking about at the very, very beginning of uh, this game, um, the... What's the name of the, uh, the character designer? It was uh, Kazumo Kaneko. Yeah, yeah. Um, I now that I'm actually more aware of, uh, you know, the difference between what Kyuyaku Megami Tensei is and what the original Megami Tensei is. Like the original game actually looks pretty personalityless in a lot of its demons. Like they're very uninteresting visually. This guy's designs um, really heightened this game to a level that I didn't even realize he was contributing to it. Oh, yeah, and like just, just see the example of how much better even the same demon is one, before and after his treatment. Uh, do yourself a favor and Google up the Megami Tensei 1 Minotaur, then Google up the Shin Megami Tensei 4 Minotaur. Yeah. It is, th- that, that character is just a master of design. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh, so, yeah, you, uh, then we fight Bale, and uh, surprise, he's not too difficult. <laughs> Yeah, Bale has a couple of attacks that can kind of take you off guard. Um, if you bought the armor in this dungeon, you will be basically immune to Bale's lightning attacks. Instead of doing a couple hundred damage, which is what they did to my vulnerable demons, it does two damage. Yeah, so uh, with the right armor and with the right demons, he goes down pretty easy. I was still rocking uh, Cerberus and Sphinx at this point. I uh, didn't have anything too powerful or crazy for this fight. And like keeping with the tradition of the first game, the big, uh, the big milestone enemies kind of go down with a whimper. Uh, so once Bale's down, he turns into a tiny frog, 
And if you've learned one thing from Dragon Ball Z, you probably should kill a frog once your enemy turns into one. But you never really want to do it because there's some interesting plot stuff that'll happen uh, if you make the bad decision to let your enemies live. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this is actually the first point in the game where you have a genuine choice between the, the different paths. The first uh, point in the series. Yeah, it's that's bigger right. bigger than that. Um. Yes. Uh, so, so essentially ki- killing Bale will lock you out of certain story choices a little bit later in the end. So uh, whereas leaving him alive will still leave everything open to you. So you wait, wait. So you have to not only leave him alive, but you have a second choice of taking him with you. And I'm not sure if there's like a meaningful distinction between leaving him alive and not taking him versus taking him. I, I do know. I do know that Sprog that that Sprog fright <laughs> that Frog Sprite is uh, probably the most adorable sprite this entire game. So you cannot leave <laughs> him behind if you wanted me to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the so unfortunately, one of the uh, shortcomings we're going to have here is we don't have means to fully experiment with all the paths available. And there's very little information online about how these different paths articulate, really. I, I think for the most part, like we, the guide we have is telling us the what to do to get to the end to see both endings, which seems like the best way to do it. But I sure would like to know if anything changes if you have to make these other choices. Yeah, and for the later games where there's a little bit more information out there, uh, we're definitely going to be splitting up duties and taking uh, different paths for the ending. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would I would bet that there isn't really any kind of like meaningful plot differences other than you just get locked out. Yeah, I mean, there might be some like NPC stuff, but you're right. There's probably not a ton of things that are actually different. Yeah, if the Yumiko fight, taught, if the Yumiko conversation taught us anything, your options are to either, in most cases, do what they want or just get killed and start over. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we get something, right? Yeah, with Bale dead and your buddy slash nemesis slash jerk friend Evan uh, slowly dying, he gives you the Orb of Sorrow. And he tells you to go back to Tokyo at Ground Zero, uh, the massive crater that's uh, kind of near Ginza. And fight the true enemy, Lucifer. We've defeated the two main uh, contributors to our turmoil for the first half of the game. And now we've found that there is another enemy out there. Yes, after being foreshadowed, first by being frozen under Ginza, and then by being broken out under Ginza by Evan, you are finally set on the hunt for Lucifer. All right. Well, that is the second episode of Megami Tensai 2. Uh, from us at Mega Ten Marathon. Uh, next episode, we'll be covering from basically this point all the way to the end of the game. Yep, and uh, as always, if you have any uh, questions or uh, comments for us, uh, you can write in at megatenmarathon at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to answer some of your questions on the air. Yeah, and uh, rate and review us on uh, iTunes, and um, is there any other business that we have? No, I, I think we might. I think that might be everything. We've been Mega Ten Marathon... And life he, life ho, he ho, is unfair. <laughs>